Well, good morning, everyone. Ushers, come on down. We're sharing our offering together this morning. As you give, each week you hear us tell you, say the, you hear me say the words, thank you for giving. It makes a difference, and it does. We're coming into one of the more difficult times as far as the, you know, the calendar year uh, for churches expense-wise. January and February are one of those months that are uh, two months that are difficult on the giving side, people paying off Christmas bills and those things, and yet we're in the height of ministry. And so as you give, um, quite honestly, it's not only necessary all the time, but it's a huge blessing and incredibly necessary during this period of time. So thank you for giving. Night to Shine. Carmen just did the announcements and mentioned Night to Shine. Let me give a little plug for that. Um, I talk to a lot of people, hear from a lot of people, and sense from a lot of people the concerns about the, in the world we live, the culture we live in. One of those concerns are financial concerns, where it's all headed. It's going to be out of control you know, inflation, whether it's going to be a recession, or we're going to collapse, all those pieces. Let me just say to you right now, one of the best things you can do if you have fears financially is go to Financial Peace University. Um, quite honestly, it's no small thing to be looking at the world and have anxiety, and that's why the word peace is in there, because what most of us have come to learn, a lot of the anxiousness of our lives revolves around the lack of peace, and that revolves around money and finances. If you have not gone through financial peace, join on, be a part of that. It will calm your heart. It, 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 uh, it, Money, you know, money financially proofs you, so to speak, uh, bulletproofs you as far as anything that might come if you can get your financial house in order. So it is limited. So jump on that right away. I'd love to have it be at full capacity and people wanting more. I'm sure we'll add more if we have that, but it is life changing. So by all means, participate in that if you would. You also heard Night to Shine. Quick statement for that one a thank you. All of our buddies are now cared for. That's one of the critical pieces that we can't do Night to Shine without buddies. Uh, we have a a full slate of guests. My understanding, I think, is 80, I mean, 55 to 65 uh, on a wait list. So that's, that's exciting and heartbreaking. And we're going to look next year as to how we do that differently, but there's a capacity that we have here. But uh, in just one week, everybody was, uh, all the buddies' needs were met. Uh, every guest that comes has a buddy assigned to them. So we have 85 or plus buddies that are ready for that assignment. And then we have a whole group of additional buddies. And the reason we have additional buddies is because, well, here's what we know for some of you. Some of you who signed on are going to get a guest who is going to start dancing at 6.15, and they will not stop dancing until 9.15. And none of you can pull that off. So we have other buddies ready to jump in and relieve you along the way. Um, there are some other areas where if you can help that night, um, it would be incredibly helpful. We can get, get along, if not, but there are some places, go online and look. And practically, one of those things where you as a family could come, uh, if you, aren't, again, aren't familiar with this, every guest that comes walks down a red carpet. They get their name announced, and they walk in on a red carpet. And we, we line that red carpet with as many people as we can who cheer them on, take pictures like the paparazzi. Uh, put a warm jacket on, come for two hours, and you will leave change just by participating in that way. So if you can, if you can sign on, do it. A final note, just in general, there's a night I want to encourage you to support. On January 20th at, at, uh, at UVM at Gutterson Fieldhouse, there's a night called um, Pack the Gut. 
Again, the abbreviation for Gutterson, pack the gut. It's a women's hockey night, and every year they have a goal where they try to get a sellout capacity uh, at the field house, at the hockey rink for, for their game. Uh, I want to encourage you to go get a ticket, go to that night. You're saying, well, I've never seen a hockey game. Go get a ticket, and then you can put that in your bucket list. Check that off. You've gone to a hockey game. Uh, UVM women's hockey are, number, are ranked 12th in the country. So that'd be, that's great all by itself. Uh, Coach Jess uh, uh, from the team uh, has, attends our church when, when, uh, when Abel had been here. And we had different hockey players attend. But not only that, they come and help. Uh, they tap into us to see how can they help us. If you were at the corn roast, you went to roast marshmallows, there was the whole team was there to assist with that. They help us at Thanksgiving and delivering meals, prepping meals, um, whenever they're able. In fact, night to shine, we, we immediately thought of them and they thought of us except for they have a game that night. I would love to have this church be a part of packing the gut. And so if you can be a part of that, by, by all means, go get a ticket and be a part of that night. Let's jump into our series this morning. Now, first I should say this. We're looking at, I should tell you this already, we're looking at when at a, an additional service time. And it's great to see that as we're filling up. I didn't bother telling the first service because... They're coming when they come early in the morning anyway. But it might affect you, so we are now looking that when that changes. The other thing I want to say is that my guess is that some of you came in this morning, we were going a little long, and some of you were out there going, man, is he going long today? Later, I want you to come and tell me who you are. I want to talk to you. <laughs> but you'll see why here in a moment uh, as to what we did talk about today. So we, well, last week, we talked about Jonah. And we talked about this, and we're, in a, we're not in a series right now. We're talking about some individual weeks where I'm trying to give you some things that I think would be helpful coming into this new year. And admittedly, there could probably be a hundred things, so I've limited it down to three or four, some issues and some thoughts that will help us. In fact, in the weeks coming up, uh, next week I want to talk about um, how to invest your life this year, not just spend it, uh, because we're gonna, you're going to have a lot of opportunities for that. We're going to talk about that next week. Then, uh, then uh, coming up after that, I want to talk about what do you do in your life when you find yourself drifting away from God. The reality of it is that all of us at some point will find ourselves saying, I'm not where I used to be. What do you do when that happens? So that's kind of our, where we're at right now, looking at different things. And today as we get started, I want to begin by asking you some questions. Now, if you're one of these people that kind of tune in and out while I talk, I'm not offended. That's my, my family does the same thing, so you're okay there. And if you're looking at your phones or whatever, that's okay too because, you know, I'm on my phone all the time and I can, you know, multitask. But if you're one of those people that may not hear everything real clearly, pick your head up right now and listen to this. I need you to hear this. Whatever you do in these next couple of questions I ask, do not raise your hands. Okay? I don't want you to be embarrassed when, you're, when all of a sudden you're raising your hand, no one else is, and everyone's going, oh, um, I don't want you to do that. So do not raise your hands as I ask you a couple questions that'll kind of help us get started along the way. So um, first question is this. How many of us, I wonder, I wonder if we were to all show our hand, oh, I should qualify one more thing. So don't raise your hand publicly, but make sure you're doing honestly raising hands in your heart. Because if you don't answer the questions for your, you know, honestly with integrity, it, it lessens the impact. So here we go. No raising hands. How many, I wonder, have people in your life right now that you know you need to forgive? That you know they need forgiveness? I'm just wondering how many of us would say, yeah, I got people in my life. They've said something. They've done something. Something that, that they need forgiveness. I wonder how many. Second question. I wonder how many of us just don't want to forgive them. I mean, let's just be honest, without anger here. I mean, just, you know, it's just like, ah, I just don't want to. I just don't want to. 
It can be a whole lot of reasons for that, but uh, if, you're, if you're honest, you just go, eh, I don't feel like it. Got it. So, third question. I wonder how many of us have a good biblical reason why not to forgive them. I'm just curious. I mean, if we could go through all of our lives, I'm wondering how many of us would say, yeah, I'm not forgiving. Right here is the Bible verse I'm standing on. Um, now, if you don't have one, come talk to me. I can give you a bunch because that's, that's, I have them. Uh, it's the reason I don't forgive. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, you can't, you can't find one that would support that. Let me give you a fourth question. I wonder how many of us know that we should forgive, but we just won't. No, we should, but just won't. And that's different than saying, I don't want to. I mean, won't, just won't. Let me give you a fifth, a fifth question. I wonder how many of us here would be honest, honest enough to say, to, to admit that I have done something in someone else's life where I'm actually the one who requires the forgiveness. I wonder how many of us would admit that if we're honest, I can probably think of a couple, a couple people where uh, I'm actually the one who requires the forgiveness. So as you can tell, this morning we're going to talk about forgiveness. And for many of us, the idea of forgiveness is kind of like, are you kidding? Uh, and reality of it is, even though some of us wouldn't take that hard line approach, are you kidding? Quite honestly, the most of the reality for us, uh, most of us would be, yeah, forgiving, but the forgiving but piece. And we're going to talk about forgiveness this morning. Uh, someone in your life. In fact, as we walk through this, it would be helpful if you would get in your mind, if there's a person or persons that need to be forgiven, that you'd get them in your mind. So you'd be thinking about this as we walk through this. Now, let me just say something to you. If we can get this issue of forgiveness, I mean, if we can get it, if we can understand it, and then if we can run to do it, instead of the, well, I want to, I will sometime, but if we can just run to do it, it will save you so much pain and so much heartache. It will save you so much pain and heartache. Now, I know that the pain, please hear this, I know the pain that is inflicted in our lives by others is the most painful pain of life. The pain that comes from other people, what they say, what they do, how they treat you, abandon you, whatever it might be. I know that that is the most painful pain. I also know the feelings we go through. Well, I'll forgive them when I'm ready or I'll forgive at some point or if they apologize, I'll forgive them on my terms. I understand all of that, but I just need you to hear forgiveness spares you pain. Forgiveness spares you hurt. And I get the fact that for many of us, there'll be a process of time. And, and I would even make the case that would say, yeah, there is a timing where we do have to walk through some things without question. But I would also say to you that forgiveness, as soon as you can give it, is to your benefit and no one else's, yours. Let me start with a statement that says this. Forgiveness is a decision that you make that you make that is not tied or contingent upon anyone or anything else. Now, let me say it again. A decision, forgiveness is a decision that you make. Only you can make it, but you make it. And that decision is not contingent upon anything or anyone else. Not on their timelines, not on feelings. A decision that we alone make and that we alone control. Now, if you at times struggle with this decision to forgive, you are not alone. 
All through history, people struggle with forgiveness. The disciples struggled with this issue of forgiveness. In fact, they came to Jesus and asked him his advice on forgiveness because they struggle with it. And Jesus had some incredibly helpful truths that he gave to them, thinking that maybe he can help us as well. So we're going to look at Matthew 18 this morning. If you, if you have your Bible, you can turn it open to Matthew 18. And if you want to use the Bible in a row, go to Matthew 18. I'm going to put verses on the screen. But let me begin by giving you an overview because it helps sets up this specific area we're going to talk about. So if you know something about the disciples, if you've been in the church for years, we've talked about this. The disciples were always in competition with one another. And the competition they were always in was a competition of who's the greatest, that was the question all the time. Who's the most important in the kingdom? Who does Jesus love more? You know, who gets it right more than anyone else? It was always this competition about who would be the number two person in the kingdom of God. So we have Matthew 18, and they ask Jesus this question about the kingdom of God. That's the first thing. The competition that's always going on kind of spills into Matthew 18, where they ask him, Jesus, we have a question for you. So who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God? Now, please know this was not a question they were asked that would somehow raise Jesus up to be number one. They weren't asking for the affirmation that Jesus would be king of kings. No, yeah, they knew that already. This was the question, Jesus, who's going to be your number one guy? That's what they're asking. Who will people look and see? Because they lived in a kingdom world. So they knew that the whole world looked at the king and saw the king as the king. But then there were those other people of places of prominence, and they knew that Jesus was going to come and open a kingdom. They had no idea it would be a kingdom of hearts, but there'd be a kingdom coming, and he'd be the king. So they got the fact he's number one. All they want to know is who's number two. Because in their world, human world, if you're number two, you're number one in the human world. That's what they want to know. So that's what's bubbling over here. And so it comes up when they're asking Jesus this question, who's going to be the most important in the kingdom of God. So Jesus gives them an example. And just so you know, the teachings of Matthew 18, most of the teachings we have of Jesus are teachings that come from the questions people ask him. So, and every time they ask a question, he does this incredible job, of course, with the answers. But every question that gets asked, he sees it as a teaching moment and full of teaching moments. And so this is one of those questions. So who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God? So Jesus answers by seeing his little baby, calls the baby over. We don't know if this baby could walk, we're thinking probably a parent brought the baby over. We don't know that for sure. But takes the baby and sits the little child in front of them. And he says this, whoever wants to be the greatest in the kingdom, you got to be like this child. And imagine you're sitting there looking at this dirty, messy-faced, messy diaper child. You want to be the greatest? Right there is your image. And now please know this would have been repulsive to them. Because children were beneath them. See, number one, children were relegated only to the care of women, and number two, to the, the, to the mother. These were a group of, quote-unquote, men gathering around Jesus, and so pff, this would be repulsive to them to think that Jesus is saying, you've got to be like that. So they look at a messy face, messy diaper baby, and they'd go, hmm, I don't want that. So that's where it starts. And then Jesus goes to his next, next teaching, and now he's going to teach them, which kind of fits the pattern you think about. It. So they're thinking about who's going to be the greatest, and they're thinking about what that which is beneath them to be, to, to be like a child. And then he goes to this next talk, talking point where he says, so the next thing I want to talk to you about, I want to talk to you about being the kind of people. I use the word Christian, so he wouldn't use that term there. But I want to talk to you about being the kind of people, Christ followers, that are more concerned about other people than themselves. 
Yeah, I want to talk to you this. I want to talk to you about this. I want to talk to you about the idea that when it comes to the church, when it comes to Christian things, when it comes to religion, it's not about you and your contentment. It's about getting more people in. So he tells them a story about a shepherd. He goes, you know, a shepherd's got a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away. He can't find that one. You know what he does? He leaves the 99 to go find the one. So he's talking to them about being, don't be these people that are complaining about, it's about my comfort, about my contentment. You know, he goes, no, no, the shepherd needs to go look for the lost. And he's encouraging them to have that same mindset that goes, it's not about us and our comfort. So that's that story. And then he talks about what to do next with this. And this is right where we live. Now we're getting into it. Then he talks about, so now what do you do when you're a Christian and you're in the church and you're with a group of other Christians and they hurt you? See, now we're kind of getting a little closer to the topic. But this is something we need to hear because see, a lot of people think like this. Well, if I become a Christian, a follower of Jesus, I join the church and the church is like the perfect place. I mean, in the church, there's no anger. In the church, there's no angst against each other. In the church, we don't argue. We don't say unkind things. We don't bump heads. We do that in the world. We do that at my job, but not here. So Jesus comes back and says, so now what do you do when another Christian sister or brother has sins against you? Just first side note, that's good news for us, that you don't have to be perfect. I mean, you couldn't pull it off anyway, but good news, you're not perfect. And good news to say that if you find yourself saying, well, somebody hurt my feelings and not supposed to be that way, I would suggest that's the way it is. Now there's a way to get through that, but Jesus says that's what's going to happen. And so he says to them, so when something happens like that, here's, he goes, here's the teaching. When someone hurts your feelings, when someone sins against you, whatever, what you do is you run to them. Just so you know, this is kind of a precursor into forgiveness piece. So when you get hurt, you run to them and you seek to make it right. You go talk to them about it. You don't talk to someone else about it. Don't be one of those Christians that when they get their feelings hurt, instead of going to the people who you can fix it, you go tell someone else. And you do so spiritually. Would you please pray, for, pray, pray with me here? Oh, what am I praying about? Oh, so-and-so. I, I don't want to gossip. But let me tell you what so-and-so did to me so we can pray for them. You know, don't do that. Bible calls it sin. So don't do that. Jesus says, no, you go to your brother, you go to your sister, and he gives a whole plan. You're going to go once, may not happen right the first time. I mean, let's be honest, most of our, most of our experiences would be, we go do something like that, it doesn't go well. Now, I would just a side note here, my experience has been that when most of us go to do that doesn't go well, it's not because the system's wrong, it's because we don't know how to go about it. And so we go in guns blazing, which is not usually a good way to resolve conflict. Uh, but he says, you know, it may take a couple of times. We get all that. So he's now done talking about going and talking to your brother when there's a sin against you. So that's the theme. Now it's interesting. So right after that one is when Peter says, you know, I got a question. How many times do you forgive somebody who's harmed you? Now, what's interesting about it, if you look at Matthew 18, you got a running theme here. It's pretty good about relationships and interaction and how we deal with people. Then he talks about, you know, how to deal with people with intention. But what's interesting is Jesus doesn't deal at all in that first portion, how to deal with someone when you're banging heads with each other, doesn't talk about forgiving them. It's absent. It's absent in the dialogue. And admittedly, some of us might think, well, that would seem like the perfect time that would say, first thing you do before you go confront them with, you know, their sin is forgive them first. Doesn't do that. And so I'm thinking that Peter's probably picking up here in something, and he's picking up on the fact that, hey, where's forgiveness fit into this? Let's read our text, and then we'll begin to fill it out for us. Matthew 18, verse 21, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or my sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? 
Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged to him, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. Pause for just a moment. We are going to need some prayer. Father, you got to help us here. You got to help us with this one because that last verse, man, that should grab all of our attention. Mine too. So Lord, very sincerely, Help us get past all the distractions and all of the reasonings and thoughts that we go through and let's just look at your word and let your word speak to us. I know that for some that have been carrying, carrying some, some hurt feelings maybe for 10 and 20 and 30 years, not an easy subject. So we ask for your Holy Spirit to be here. We know you are. We ask for your Holy Spirit to do your work in my life and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So Peter comes up, and Peter is trying to get on top of this thing. And so Peter comes up, and he wants to demonstrate to Jesus that he's really pretty you know, far along in this forgiveness thing. So he has a question of Jesus. Now, make sure you understand this. He's asking these questions of Jesus, and what he is doing is not asking a question. He's trying to make a statement. You see, what Peter's doing here is he wants to demonstrate to Jesus how well he gets the forgiveness thing, how far along he is in this forgiveness thing, that he is far better than the average slug. In this case, far better than the rest of them, because don't forget, underneath us all is still being who's number one. And so he's got this question that he posed, but he asked his question, but he's not really looking for an answer because he already has the answer. Because he says, how many times should I forgive a brother or sister who sins against me? And then he just right, jumps right to the answer. You ever been with someone who only speaks to you or asks you a question when they want to speak and they, use, they need to ask you a question to get them into the, the, the discussion, but before you can even give your answer, they're already up and running? I worked for a guy a number of years ago that he, he would only ask you how you're doing if, in fact, he was doing poorly and he wanted to tell you about it. So it would be, hey, how are you doing today? And it didn't take long to figure out. When he'd ask you that, you go, oh, boy. Do I say I'm good? Because if I do that, that's going to go down one path. If I say I'm bad, is that going to go on a path? You know, how do I go about this? And so you begin the game. How are you doing today? I'd say, oh, I'm absolutely horrible. Before you get anything else out, you go, bow, and then you start telling me, I got this, and I got this, and I got this, and I got this. And so you realize the only times you had conversation 
with him is when he had something to say and he wanted the door open for him to say it or her to say it. So if you're not going to open it, he opens it for you. This is Peter. Jesus, I got a question for you. Everybody, please stand by. I have a question for you. How often do we forgive? Before Jesus can answer, he goes, seven times is what I'm suggesting. What do you think, Jesus? Now, understand the background here. Peter is looking to, be the, to position himself for Jesus to use him as a glorious example. Here's what we know. We know that the religious leaders of that day already taught to forgive three times, not once. You see, the religious leaders, people already know that forgiveness is always more than a one-time deal. And so they've already gone to the religious leaders for years and saying, hey, this forgiveness thing is kind of a pain because people keep hurting, the same people keep hurting me over and over again. How many times? So they'd made a decree that said three. Not once, but three. After three, you don't have to forgive anymore. Now, part of us would love to live under that law, right? <laughs> three times, they're done. Three in, they're out. Three strikes, they're out. So literally, the law was forgive three times. After three, you don't have to forgive nothing. Just dump them. Have nothing to do with them. That was the law. So Peter, I'm thinking, coming in saying, I got this. Three is the law. I'm going to double it. Add three plus one. He's positioning himself so that Jesus would say, Peter, seven? Everyone, listen, please. Follow Peter's example. When it comes to forgiveness, you follow Peter because this guy's got it. That's the spirit we have in that moment. Nah, that's not the spirit that Jesus is talking about. Now, I would say this. Start, stop here for a moment. I want to give you three things real quickly that Peter actually identifies for us that will be help for us, helpful for us to see. First thing that he identifies is this. He reminds us that most of our hurts come from family members, right? Most of our hurts, the deepest hurts you've had have come from family members. He uses the word, my brothers and my sisters. Now, I also understand that that's kind of interchangeable for meaning other Christians, but here's the real heart of it is the people who are, you are closest to are the ones that hurt you the most, right? So, I mean, let's be honest. If you can be transparent in your life, you know that most of your deepest pains have come from brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, sons and daughters. That's where the real pain comes from. It's not from people you don't know. My wife and I are out shopping yesterday. We're driving down the road. We're by the mall. There's a guy beside me. We're side by side. I'm not in front of him. I'm not cutting him. I mean, we're side by side. And we take off together and he blows his horn and he... One way to Jesus sign. He gives me the one way to Jesus sign. And I, I don't know why. I mean, I, I literally don't know why. My wife's in the car, and of course, she asks the question that most wives do, and that is, what did you do? <laughs> Admittedly, it can be a legitimate question, but I didn't do anything. I mean, go, I, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. I didn't cut them off. I'm not, I'm not tailgating. We're side by side. I didn't know anything. We go, we both get on the interstate. He's going about 55. I pull and pass him like everyone else does. He doesn't, he doesn't try to race or anything like that. I pass him. As I go by, he's still proclaiming that Jesus is the way. So the, on the side window. Now, very honestly, so what? Right? His gesture means nothing to me. He didn't hurt me at all. Why? I don't know him. Where's most of your pain come from? The deepest pain. The people whom you're closest to. So Peter gives us great insight, my brothers and my sisters. He gives us another insight, and that is, he tells us this, that they never hurt you just once. Because he, asks, he says, how many times do I have to forgive? He's already at seven. Peter's already understanding that, you know, it's not a one-time deal because they don't hurt you just one time. They're going to hurt you over and over and over again. Anyone here experience that in your life with the people you love most? It's not a one and done. And so Jesus has an answer for him, and he actually says, uh, no, uh, not seven times, but 77 times. Or in some of the translation you'll read would be 70 times seven. 
So different translations either have 77 or 70 times 7, and people will go, oh, is that a contradiction? It is not. Here's what we, everyone knows is going in that, that does, that's a, a studier of the word, and that is there's this little ending on one word, and the ending in Greek and comes up with the word times. And it's all about where you place that little ending. And in different manuscripts, it's placed different places. And so it either means 77 times or it means 70 times 7. That little thing either goes on one side of the word or the other. It either makes 77 times or 70 times 7. And no scholar thinks it's a, 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 that's an inaccuracy. Every scholar says this. It doesn't make any difference. The point is the number is staggering. Everyone agrees the number is staggering. And the people that would hear Jesus say 77 times or 490 times, everyone would look at that and say, unbelievable. How do you do that? It was a staggering number. Now here is where some of us in the room will push back. Scott, uh, I'm not going to sit there and take it for 77 times or 490 times. I'm not going to take it. And I would say, if that's where you're at, you don't understand forgiveness. I'm, I'm just not taking it. I'm not asking you to taking it. What I'm asking you to do is let it go. I'm not taking it. I'm not asking you to take it because if you take it, you're just going to get bitter. I'm asking you to give it back by forgiving. forgiving. Not by some mean-spirited action, but I'm asking you just to take it. I'm asking you to release it. Actually, God's word is. And Peter gives us another little truth here that you're just going to hate. He actually tells us that if you're keeping score, you haven't forgiven at all. If you're keeping score. You say, where do you get that? Peter goes, how many times do I have to forgive? You know what that means? If you right now are thinking, I know that people have to forgive, and I have forgiven them and forgiven them and forgiven them, you're a scorekeeper. And if you're a scorekeeper, then you haven't forgiven. Then you don't understand forgiveness. If you're going back to the same deal, you know, I remember, and you start listing the things that you haven't forgiven. You haven't released it. And that's that key piece that, that we see here. Peter goes, how many times? Well, scorekeepers aren't actually usually real forgivers. So after Jesus answers, he tells a story. So he gives him the answer about 70 times 7 or 77 times. And then he tells a story and about this king that had, was settling debts. Now it says that our, in our story, it was settlement time. And he has all of his servants come in and settle debts. This one servant comes in, and apparently we get this feeling like all the servants owed the king something, which would actually be true in that day. One of the upsides of being a servant to the king is you usually had the king's backing for things. So at Solomon time, and it says one of the guys comes in and owes the king uh, about 10,000 bags of gold. Just do the quick math so you know, that would be the equivalent today of about $15 million. Sizable, sizable loan, I would say. $15 million. Now, Please get this because it helps you understand the story. In ancient times, there was no claiming bankruptcy. In ancient times, there was no filing chapter 11 or filing chapter 13. It was nothing. If you couldn't pay and the person you owed said it's time and you couldn't pay it, it was really straightforward. It was not complex. It was really simple. Uh, the king would take your wife and, wife and children and either put them into his harem, if he liked your wife and daughters, put them into his harem, or would take your wife and children and sell them into slavery, take all your stuff and sell it, keep the money. And then on top of that, either put you into slavery as well or just put you in jail until you could pay it, which if you're in jail, you can't. So bottom line is you go into jail till you die. It was really quite simple. <laughs> you, didn't need, you didn't need to go to court. It was just done, done finished. 
Verse 26, the guy knows that's what's coming. And so here's verse 26. And at, at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. This guy begins to beg. Now, no, now notice what it says. He says, be patient with me. And he goes, what I will do is I will pay back everything. $15 million. Just be patient and give me another week. And I'll pay back everything that I owe. Friends, the point of this story, at this point of the story is, he can't pay it back. Think about this. If he had any kind of access to financial means, let's say he was so wealthy he had access to money, he would have to give back $1,000 a day, $1,000 a day every single day for 40 years. See, the point is, is he can't. The point is that the debt is impossible to pay back. And from this story, now let me give you three reasons why you need to forgive. Three reasons from the story. Reason number one, forgive them because God has forgiven you. Period. Forgive because God has forgiven you. Let me rephrase it in a way that maybe you can say it a little bit easier or maybe it's a little harder, but say it this way. So get in your mind the people, the person that you have to forgive. Get in your mind the person that's hurt you, even though I know it's painful. I got it. Get that person in your mind. And then this is how it gets said. I have to forgive them. You can insert their name if you like. I have to forgive them because God has forgiven me. That's that first truth. Matthew 20, 18, 27. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. I love this guy. No strings attached. No strings attached. Uh, no penalty. No interest. He goes, you know, here's the deal. I'm going to forgive that. You should, pay, you should pay something. Don't we think like that sometimes? You know, I'm going to forgive it. But you ought to pay something. Because if you don't pay something, you really don't own it. You really don't understand it. This guy, no, no payment. No repayment. No interest. In fact, he goes, no rebuke. No sigh. He doesn't sit there and go, bah, what do I do with you? Nothing. He goes, you know what? free. I've canceled the debt. What a king. What a gift. And that $15 million debt is pennies compared to the forgiveness that you and I have received through Jesus Christ. That $15 million is nothing compared to your sin and mine that Jesus Christ paid that price for. It is pennies. It's nothing. Now, this story, if you haven't figured it out, is the parallel story to our lives with God. If you haven't figured that out, it's us. We had a debt, I, I had a debt, you have a debt of sin, a, a debt that we could not pay, could not pay. Just no way, Jesus takes that debt upon himself. The day that Jesus goes to the cross, he's paying the debt. And the moment that he goes to the cross with your sin in mind, if you're a follower of Jesus, immediately God says, forgiveness, done, debt, done, canceled. Books are zeroed out, nothing. You are free and clear. It's an incredible story. That's the picture he's painting. Because if Jesus, our sins are completely forgiven, the debt we couldn't pay is done. Now listen carefully. And then what this story means is then God expects you to go and do likewise. Here's a statement you have to hear. An unforgiving Christian is a contradiction of terms. If you say I'm a follower of Christ and I refuse to forgive, that's a contradiction of terms. So be honest here. 
And I'm not going to be honest in a bad way. I'm going to say, if you're, how, do you, how would you feel if you just got forgiven a $15 million debt? How would you feel if you've got any debt you couldn't pay and someone just says, free? How would you feel if someone just came and said, I'm going to take your mortgage and paid your mortgage off, done. That card that you have, done. Here's the title. It's all yours. Free and clear. You'd feel joyful. You'd feel giddy. You'd feel freedom, relief, all those things. And how would you feel towards other people around you? One who didn't know you would debt. You'd be giddy and joyful with them. Come celebrate with me. How about the people that maybe had harmed you along the way? You'd probably be joyful and giddy and gracious with them as well, right? I mean, I'm just giddy thinking about it. I got, I got a couple of debts. If you want to come along and release me of those debts, I'll dance with you and I don't dance. I'll be thrilled. That, that's a spirit. Matthew 28, verse 30. But when that servant went out, so he just got forgiven. But when he goes out, he finds one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay me back what you owe me. The fellow servant fell on his knees and begged, be patient and I'll pay it all back. Does that sound familiar at all? Be patient and I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went out and he had the man thrown in prison until he could pay the debt. He goes out and he sees this guy, fellow servant, so fellow co-worker, who owes him 100 silver coins. So you got to get the comparison. Um, 15 million, our best calculation on the silver coins, probably 17 bucks. Maybe 20, depending on the, the economy. We'll stick with 17. $17, 15 million. See, the story is meant to get us to hear it and go, what? Isn't that staggering? You look at that and you just kind of go, oh, how can this be? It's meant to do that. It's meant for us to look at it and go, how can it be? So let's answer the question, how can this be? This guy's reaction, this guy's actions, this guy's attitude to $17 is so offensive to our sense of justice, right? It's so offensive to our sense of of, of judgment that we find ourselves saying, there's got to be some explanation. Scott, please, tell me there's some explanation. Well, there is. It's not the obvious answer, like disobedience. It's not the obvious answer that says, well, this guy just, doesn't, just refuses. He's just not willing to cooperate with God. No, not quite. So how can this guy do this? And the better question is, how do we do it, right? How is it that possible? Christians who won't forgive. I'll give you the answer. Here's why. Christians who won't forgive someone else either have forgotten what it's like to be forgiven or have never acknowledged or won't acknowledge the fact that they needed to be forgiven. They have either forgotten what Jesus Christ has done for them or somehow they deny the level of sin they carried that required the forgiveness of God in their life. Think about our guy in this story. So first of all, you think, well, there's two options here. Either they forgot or they won't own So did he forget? Not possible. He just walked out. He just walked out of $15 million being forgiven. Man, this guy's still on cloud nine. So did he forget? He didn't forget. I don't think he he forgot at all about being forgiven. And he sees this guy who owes him. No, he didn't forget. I think the reaction we see is because he really didn't see his need for forgiveness. Now, at that point, you should say, wait a minute. How do you not see the need? See, this is pretty critical. We get this because of what he says to the king. What does he say to the king? Be patient with me, and what? I will pay it back. That's really critical. 
You know the kind of attitude and spirit you hear from people who realize they have a debt they can't pay? They say to the king, I can't pay it. I get whatever I deserve. I owe you. You don't owe me. I'm at your mercy. You see, this guy, you can go back to him later and say, hey, the king forgave you 15 million. Yeah, but he didn't need to. What? Yeah, he didn't need to. I mean, I told him, give me time, I'll pay it back. If he would have given me time, in fact, in fact, it's just lost because, you see, what he did is he just lost out on $15 million. Had he given me back, given me time, I would have paid it back. He would have got his money back. So it was a nice thing he did, but I really didn't need it. You say, well, how can that be? And folks, it's, we talked about this last week. It's the same reason that many of us can go on with life disobeying God and still feel good about it because we intend to obey him sometime. God said, I want you to do this. I will, but... I'll do it in my time. I will when I feel better. I, you know, I'll give it time. This, this is the way most of us go through our lives feeling really good about our disobedience to God is at some point in time we intend to not be disobedient. And so we feel good about it. See, that's the whole story of this guy. He never felt give, forgiven. He never saw his need. Let me give you a life observation. Whenever you find someone in life who's unforgiving, who's harsh, who's judgmental, who's unbending, who's demanding, unforgiving of others, critical, negative, ungracious, pick your thing. Whenever you find someone who has that attitude towards other people, you can be sure of something I've learned, and that is that person is living under a load of guilt themselves. That's the way it goes. You see, the unforgiven are unforgiving. The people who don't recognize of what they have been forgiven of are the people who are unforgiving for others for the smallest of offenses. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind and compassionate to one another. Look at that next word, forgiving each other. And what's that say? Just as in Christ, God forgave you. The key to forgiveness is understanding how much you have been forgiven. Let me give you a second thing, that, a second case to be made for it, and that is this. Second one is this. You need to forgive because not forgiving makes you miserable. And on top of that, everyone sees you're miserable and they really don't want to be around you. So here's the storyline. So we, go, we look at this guy in our story. He goes to this guy who owes him 17 bucks, grabs him by the throat, starts to choke him, screaming at him to pay me what I owe you. Pay me what you owe, pay me what you owe. Uh, he says no and goes and has him thrown in jail. My question I have is this. Does that sound like a joyful guy? Does he sound like a happy guy? Does he seem like a guy that you just want to hang out with and be friends with? You do not want to be with this guy. Back to our text, 31 and verse 34. When the other servants saw what happened, this is what's critical about this, the guy who's getting choked doesn't report this. When the other servants see what happens, they were outraged and they went and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And anger his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. So the king says to this guy, unbelievable. Same thing we're saying, right? Unbelievable. After all that you have been forgiven of, have it your way, friends. Have it your way on the unforgiving thing, and you will have it your way. That's the way it works. Now, in this story, we come to a very dark moment. 
Because if you catch it, the king says this, you wicked guy. And then he says, and the king hands him over to the, to the jailer to be tortured. You can look up that word in Greek any way you want, and it's a bad term, tortured. It's a pretty dark scene. You say, wait, 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 wait. If I don't forgive others, God is going to lock me up and torture me? No. He doesn't have to because unforgiveness does that all by itself. See, God doesn't have to put you in jail. You you don't forgive people, you're in jail. You put yourself in your own prison. God doesn't have to torture you because people who are unforgiving live tortured lives. It's that simple. Unforgiveness always leads to resentment and bitterness. When resentment towards other people come in, bottom line is you're in jail and you are tortured every single day. Now here's the really sad part. While you're hurting and you're angry, Here's what you're thinking. You're thinking, I'm hurt because of them. I hurt because of what they did. Look what they did to me. And here's the sad part. You can't see that your hurt is actually because of your unforgiving spirit, not because of what they did. Oh, what they did may hurt, but what you're doing compounds that over and over and over again. No, God doesn't want to imprison you or torture you. In fact, God's the one that wants you, sets the free. He gives you the key to the prison door and it's called forgiveness. So my question I have is, so what hurt are you holding on to that, as, that you're allowing to still hurt you, maybe even years and years later? And don't forget the other part of this truth, don't forgive, and not only are you miserable, but everyone else sees it. I mean, I think it's, just, I think it's kind of funny that the people that go to report them are the other servants. They're seeing the bad behavior. They're seeing how it's affected them. Please know, people see it, people know it. It's not attractive. Let me give you the last one. We wrap up. Third reason to forgive. Third reason is this, because you will need forgiveness yourself in the future. I guarantee it. Forgive others because you will need it. Um, Last verse. And admittedly, you're not going to like this verse. I don't like this verse. Last verse. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. This is how my heavenly father will treat you. And I got to be honest with you, at this point, you should look at that verse and go, wow, Scott, please explain that. Please explain that. Tell me it doesn't mean what it says. Sorry, I can't. I mean, I'd love to go up here and say, no, it doesn't mean that. It does mean that. And I don't fully understand how it means that, I'll be honest with you. But it does mean this, friends, you ought to be very, very careful how you live when it comes to this issue of forgiveness because God takes your unwillingness to forgive very, very seriously. Now, here's the question you ought to ask yourself. Why is God so bent on you forgiving others? I mean, we don't find other places in Scripture that is pointed as this when it comes to something that's so easy under control where you can forgive somebody else and he said, if you don't, this is how I'm going to treat you. Yeah, ask yourself the question, why is God so keyed up on this issue? I'll tell you exactly why. An unforgiving Christian is the epitome of hypocrisy, right? I mean, when you read the story, isn't that the part that grabs you? That this guy's been freed such a debt and he doesn't forgive others? It's such a big issue for God because the Christian, unforgiving Christian is the epitome of hypocrisy. An unforgiving Christian makes a mockery of what Jesus did on the cross. When they say, yep, I'm a follower of Jesus. 
Someone once asked John Wesley. John Wesley was a 1700s preacher and evangelist. I love this. Someone came to him. He was preaching on forgiveness and said this. How I could, the quote, I could never forgive this person. They got some issues. I could never forgive them. And Wesley's answer was this. Well, first, I hope that you've never sinned in your life. He says, forgiveness is a two-way street. And then he says, don't forgive. And just so you know, you burn the bridge that you have to walk off, walk over to get to heaven. Don't forgive and you burn the very bridge that you need to get you to eternity. And then he says this, and when you pray the Lord's Prayer, which in that day was very common, they, they recite, recite it often, and he goes, and when you pray the Lord's Prayer, don't say forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. When you pray, you should pray this, God, only forgive me as much as I forgive the people around me. Listen, folks, don't pray that prayer like that. Just forgive them. But it's not just an eternal forgiveness dish issue, right? I mean, this year and this month and this week and right now, there are people in your life that need you to forgive them and they need it because you are the one who needs it. You need to forgive them. So just go get it done. Let me give you a couple simple questions. If you, if you're, if you ever wonder, do I really need to forgive somebody? Here's a couple tests. Do the fault test. The fault test is this. When you think about the moments where you're unhappy, do you find yourself faulting somebody? Well, I'm unhappy about this because of, and you put a name in there. This has hurt me. And you list the name. I, I, that's the fault test. I, my struggle I'm having is because of who. If you got a name in there, you probably need to forgive somebody. The second test you can take is the tally test. When you think of the people in your, in your life, do you have a list? You know, that person did this and this and this and this. You're a scorekeeper, then you probably need to forgive. Third one is the owe me test. When you think about, you know, my life in a wreck and you owe me, you know, people owe you something because they've hurt you. Uh, that's the test. And, uh, and then I, I added one after the first service. There's the flaw test. I, I wrote this in pencil because it came to me afterward. Then the flaw test. The flaw test is you get done with this sermon and you think to yourself, I think his sermon's flawed. If you think it's flawed, I'm not trying to say I'm perfect or right but I'm just taking it out from scripture. So if you think the sermon's flawed, you probably have someone in your life you, want to forgive, you need to forgive. And for some reason you won't. So how'd you do on the test? Any people in your list that need forgiveness? Let me end with this story. My senior year in college, I had a moment that has, as I think back about it now, has prolifically defined my life and my forgiveness and my asking forgiveness thing. I mean, a moment of time. I was a senior in college. You need to know, I'm not bragging here, I'm just giving you perspective. Senior in college, I was the, the captain of the soccer team. I was the captain for three years, which was unusual for a junior, sophomore, junior, and senior. I was the captain. I was the student senate president, so I was the highest elected official in the campus body. On top of that, I was an up-and-coming preacher. I was a very good communicator, and so I was asked by the school to go out and represent the school. I go to places to speak and to, and, to, and to preach, and I would be asked to go and represent the school for its great its cause, whatever. So I was an up-and-comer. People knew me. I had I had uh, positions. I was given. I, I would be allowed to drive you know school vehicles, all that kind of stuff. I was a I was in a place of prominence. And I had access to different things, and I abused it. I stole something from the school, theft of services. Back then, we didn't have cell phones. Back then, you know, you, uh, a collect call or a, a long-distance call cost money. So that was the thing that came in that the school had called a Watts line. Some of you might recall that, but a Watts line was back before long-distance things. You could actually buy a package from somebody. You still paid for it, but you got 
a discount, but you couldn't just dial a phone. You had to get access through, through the school. I had access to the Watts line because of my position as student, pre, student body president. Years ago, I shared this story and I, I've used that. I placed a call that was gonna, I wanted to call my mom. And when they asked me who it was for, I said, oh, I'm ordering a film for some student event. And she didn't think twice. She said, okay, she put the call through. And of course, what I didn't realize is there was a two-way speaker. She was trying to listen. She just hadn't clicked it off yet when she heard me pick up. And when I picked up, she heard, and some other faculty in the room with the, this, uh, the operator heard me say, hey, mom. Well, last I checked, my mom wasn't sending me videos to show the school body. And so she had to come to me and say, something's not right. And there was a group of faculty that knew it. And so I got called in the dean's office. And you need to know I was broken. I was broken because I shouldn't have done it, but admittedly, a lot of it was pride. I was just ashamed because the perfect picture everybody had of me was now stained, and I couldn't stand myself. I, I went into seclusion. I went to my class. I went back and everything else. One of the highlights of my, of my week would be I played basketball with the faculty at lunch three days a week. I was the only, only student that played faculty basketball, and I just quit because I couldn't stand it. They all knew but a week and a half goes by, I haven't played basketball. And one of those key professors, and it was George, along with three others, came and found me. And they said this, how come you're not playing basketball? I said, oh, I've been busy, you know, whatever. I could better look at him in the eye. And they sat me down and they said, here, look at us. And the one of them said, you're not playing basketball because you're ashamed. Right? And I was like, yeah. And they sit there and looked at me and said, you know what, this thing's over. You've been forgiven. It's finished. So get your clothes on. You're playing basketball. And you're not doing this anymore. And then one of them said these words. Don't ever forget what it's like to be forgiven. And I was a student. And as you go out of this place and go into life, he said, remember this. Be quick to say you're sorry. And be quick to forgive. Friends, my family can testify to this. My staff can. I'm not bragging here. I've learned that while you're still hurting me in your words, I have learned the quicker I forgive you, the better my life is. I am incredibly selfish. And so why do I want that pain? I remembered that. Friends, quick to say you're sorry quick to forgive and your life will be better here's the deal give you a chance i give you a challenge by next week before you walk into the service go get it done release them stand let's pray lord jesus the truth of it is that moment with those faculty members speaking to my life, they were only pointing out to me what I've missed. And I, I had missed the power of the cross. Every person here who's a follower of Jesus has the power of the cross in their life. And when we realize, Lord Jesus, what you have done for us, how dare we not forgive others? This morning, you know the pain and you know the hurt. I don't mean to lessen that at all. In fact, I pray for the person that is struggling to forgive, 
May they have that overwhelming sense of your presence, your forgiving grace that will empower them to do the same. Amen. God bless you.